With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today to recap Georgia's latest dominant win over Auburn is my co-host, Curtis. And guys, it was exactly that. Yet another dominant win over the Auburn Tigers is kind of becoming old hat here for Georgia over the past couple years, really more than the past couple years. I mean, the dogs own the Deep South's oldest rivalry right now, having won now 13 of the last 16 in the series. And with the lone exception of the game that got away from us in Jordan Hare in 2017, Kirby has himself owned Gus Malzahn in the Auburn Tigers since he's gotten here and taken over the job as the head man in Athens. I mean, I told you guys on the preview show last week going into this game that, again, with the exception of that one game in Jordan-Hare in 2017, since Kirby took over the job here in Athens, Auburn has scored 7 points, 7 points, 10 points, 14 points, averaged 9.5 points a game and 256 yards a game. In those four head-to-head matchups outside of that 2017 game on the Plains. And yesterday was no different. In fact, I think you make an argument that that win over Auburn might be Kirby's most dominant win over Gus Malzahn in this series. I mean, he held him to six points, 216 total yards, only 39 yards rushing. And all of a sudden, huh, go figure, People are taking the dogs seriously again. So we will do our best to break down everything that happened and anything we don't get a chance to cover, we will cover on the mailbag show later this week. So go ahead and start sending in all of your questions. We've already had a couple people send some questions in, but the more the merrier. So send those in. They can be questions looking back at the Auburn game, of course, but also they can focus on looking ahead to next week's matchup with the Tennessee Volunteers as well. Anything is fair game. And you can send them to us at glory underscore UGA on Twitter, or if you don't do the whole Twitter thing, you can email them to us at podcast at gmail.com. And real quickly, before we break down the game, we have a couple of quick shout outs we want to throw out there. A big thank you to DangerDog19, and this is RJ for being our latest listeners to give us some really nice reviews on Apple Podcasts. Guys, we really do appreciate that. The feedback is fantastic, and we appreciate you taking time out of your day. I know life is incredibly busy. If you're like me, life goes 100 miles an hour every single day. So we appreciate even if it takes a minute or two, we appreciate you taking a minute or two to help us out because it really is a big help. And if you haven't got a chance to give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, those five-star reviews, they really do help us out. So if you get a chance and you enjoy the podcast, we would greatly appreciate any help you could throw our way. But let's go ahead and break this game down. Kurt, we have a ton to talk about, and let's just start here. It's crazy what a week can do. After last week's 
I mean, let's be real. It was a very uninspiring win over Arkansas. A win, yes, but at least the first half was very uninspiring. So after that, a lot of people were already jumping overboard on Georgia's championship hopes here in 2020. But here we are, one week and one dominating win later over a top 10 Auburn team. I don't really think Auburn is going to end up being a top 10 team, but hey, Perception matters, so I'll take it and let's just roll with it. But now people are jumping all over each other trying to get back on the ship. And not that it matters, but just for a, a quick anecdote here, a week after getting jumped in the AP poll by Florida, well, the dogs have now jumped back over the Gators into the number three ranking in the AP poll. Again, it doesn't really matter right now, but just kind of goes to show you how people are kind of ever so slightly jumping off the ship after that Arkansas game, but now they're trying to jump back on. So the perception of this team is just entirely different, not just on the national level, but in large segments of the Georgia fan base as well after this latest win over Auburn. But Curtis, I'm curious how you feel about this team right now. How much better do you actually feel about this Georgia team and its championship hopes after the big win over Auburn? Of course I feel good. I kind of mentioned the second half against Arkansas. We were a completely different team, and the team really carried on from that momentum we gained in the second half offensively and defensively too. They just carried it on and kept building off what we – you know, we didn't start the game how we wanted to, but we definitely ended it in a good way. So we just kept building off that. And, I mean, you also have to take into account everything else. Yes, our def- our team went out there, and let's be honest, we dominated Auburn from start to finish, uh, especially in the second half. Yeah, we only scored three points in the second half, but I think a lot of that was pulling the gas off the pedal, um, getting other people reps and things like that. Um, we didn't really call the game that we did in the first half, so you have to bring that into perspective. But also, in the same time, I want to bring out the fact that that win over Arkansas looks a little bit better now that Arkansas just went into Mississippi State's house and beat them, pretty much dominated them that entire game. And this is the same Mississippi State team that everyone was all on the hype train about because they just knocked off LSU at home last week. So that win itself, too, is also starting to look a little bit better. You have to take into account and be like, okay, maybe our team is better than we are giving them credit for. Yeah, I think that's the right way to look at this. And me personally, I wasn't ready to give up on this team. As I did last week on the show in the aftermath of that Arkansas game, I acknowledge that we had some issues on offense against Arkansas. Like We definitely had some issues that needed to be addressed, whether it was the quarterback situation, the offensive line play, youth at receiver. We definitely had some issues with penalties, all of those things. They all kind of just conspired together at the same time in week one to make it seem like a really bad look, at least in that first half. But the thing for me was, and this is something that I, that I mentioned last week as well, is like that wasn't completely unexpected. That's why I wasn't freaking out. I, I wasn't necessarily happy with the offensive performance, but I wasn't ready to freak out yet because I fully expected to see us grow offensively as the season progressed. I, I wasn't expecting us to be a well-oiled machine offensively in week one. Now, if the defense had gone out there in week one and had all those issues, all the returning experience we had coming back, all that talent all that continuity, yeah, I would have been probably freaking out, but that wasn't the case. It was the unit that we kind of expected to be a work in progress early in the season, and oh yeah, it was a work in progress. Like, that's what we thought was going to happen, and like I said last week, it's like, why why do why do we freak out? Like, we all expected coming to the season that it was going to be like that early in the year, and then when it happened, we kind of lose our minds and freak out, but 
to me, that that's just natural with a new offensive coordinator, new quarterback. And yeah, we needed to find an answer at quarterback, but maybe we have right now. It looks like we're starting to find that answer. Issues on the offensive line, a lot of new faces, guys that hadn't played a ton before, new receivers, very young receivers. George Spence had to be the number one guy from the get-go. A lot of guys in new roles. So it was going to take some time. And look, we are still a work in progress offensively. It was obviously a better look that you have to feel better about against Auburn. But we still have a lot to work on right now. There are a lot of plays that were left out there to be made. Honestly, guys, we were so much more talented than that Auburn team. And if you look at some of the plays that were left out there, yeah, we, we won handedly. 27 to 6, dominant win. That easily could have been 40 plus points to 6. Easily, if just one or two things go differently here. And I think as the season progresses and we continue to grow, we will start to make those plays. We're not making them right now. We made enough to dominate a, a, a good, solid Auburn team. Certainly not a great Auburn team, but a good, solid Auburn team. But yeah, we've got some guys that just have to gel, have to grow up, those young receivers. We just got to figure out what our identity is going to be offensively. I think we took a step closer to figuring that out this week against Auburn. But I still think, again, that's a work in progress. But as long as we can keep finding a way to win until we get to Jacksonville, or just even get there with one loss, man, I think we still have a chance to keep those championship hopes alive. But yeah, I mean, it was difficult to not be affected by all the negativity coming out of that Arkansas game, which, oh yeah, guys, let me remind you, it's still a game that we won by 27 points. So it's, but yeah, I mean, there was a ton of negativity everywhere in our fan base, nationally. It was all over the place. You couldn't avoid it. So it's tough to not let that impact you on some level. And I'm certainly guilty of that. But I go back to the old coaching cliche. It is such an old cliche. And I'm sure you've heard it a million times, but it's something that I, that's kind of stuck with me through all my years since I was I'm probably even in Little League, my coaches were saying this. My high school coaches were big on this too. But come on, you guys, say along with me here. You're never as bad as you look on your worst day and you're never as good as you look on your best day. The answer is usually somewhere in the middle. And Kirby Smart himself pulled out that old coaching cliche in his post-game press conference. just caused me to kind of chuckle a little bit because that's just kind of how I approach things all the time and have since I was a very, very young dude back in the day. But I'll say, yeah, I feel better. I do feel better about where this team is and what we can be. Like, But we have not arrived yet. That's why I bring that coaching cliche in. Like, You're going to have people that are overreacting to this win as much as they overreacted to the poor showing offensively against Arkansas in week one. I don't think we should overreact to either performance and just realize that this is a really good, talented team that has a lot of growing up to do. It certainly feels better to win a game against a team that is perceived to be better than Arkansas and probably is better than Arkansas. It feels good to kind of get that out of the way and just have that really dominant performance, especially coming off a game like Arkansas. So you have to feel better about that. But again, there's a lot of things that we have to continue to improve on, even defensively, as well as we are playing right now defensively and as well as we should be playing. There's still some things to work on there and some things we need to get better at. If you're looking ahead to some of the teams that we're going to have to beat if we want to get to that championship level that we're all trying to, to get to. But yeah, certainly feel much better, a much better look, but we have not arrived. We've got to keep working, keep growing, keep improving. All right. So Kurt, last week on the recap show, we spent a good about 40, 45 minutes or so talking about just the quarterback position. And then we talked about it some more later on in the week on the Mailbag Show. It's obviously something that has been a major talking point here in the early part of the 2020 season for the Georgia football program. But I think people are are beginning to accept the idea of Stetson Bennett as the starting quarterback. Obviously, we know JT Daniels got his clearance 
early in the week, and that certainly opened up some speculation about whether or not he might be the guy to get the start against Auburn, especially coming off that first half performance against Arkansas when it just really wasn't a great look. But lo and behold, we go out there, and as we had started here later on the week, it was Stetson Bennett who comes out with the first team and is the starting quarterback and really played pretty much the entire game until garbage time when Dwight Mathis got in there and was really just kind of handing off right and left. That's pretty much what we had Mathis doing once he gets in there. But I think now people are starting to accept the idea of Stetson Bennett as the starting quarterback. I think it's starting to sink in, but it's still the big storyline around this team right now. But as far as you are concerned, is this Stetson Bennett's job the rest of the way? I'm going to be honest and say no. Right now, he's the best option for us. Now, I'm not saying, like, we've also mentioned that he has his limits uh, athletic-wise. And I still think it's going to be open competition throughout the year because Kirby has always said that. And I think this is honestly one of the first prime examples we'll see this year of an open competition where at any one time someone could get pulled for someone else. Like, he doesn't have a longer leash like he did with Jake Fromm and all those. I mean, really, it was just Jake Fromm. But even at Easton, he wasn't ready to make that change yet. Uh, so he really hasn't had that true quarterback competition that he's always preached about, and I think this is the first time you've seen it. So I'm not sitting here ready to say that Stetson is the guy throughout the rest of the year because once JT or even maybe Juwan, one of them could you know get better and get a hold of the offense and get comfortable and make things interesting between the team. I do think this is Stetson Bennett's job to lose at this point. And I'm not saying that he could not end up losing this job, but I think he will have to falter somewhere down the stretch for him to lose his wholeness job. I do agree with you saying that he does not have as long of a leash as a guy like Jay Fromm did, but I think that's because Fromm was certainly more established when he really went into his quarterback battle with, with Justin Fields going into the 2018 season. He had basically had an entire year under his belt as a starting quarterback. J.K. Beeson transfers, leads his team, or helps lead his team. It wasn't just him, but helps lead his team to an SEC title and then to the brink of a national title. So he had more money in the bank, more or less. He was just more established than Stetson Bennett is at this point in his career. So I think he had that longer leash than what Stetson's going to have. But I do think with how steady Stetson is right now, Kirby's been very clear about how he trusts Stetson Bennett. He's the guy right now that's the best man for the job currently. does not mean that he's the most talented option. In fact, I would say he's probably... Like if you're just going on pure raw talent, probably the least talented of the quarterbacks on the roster right now. And I see why the coaches went with Dewan Mathis to open the season because his potential is tantalizing. I mean, his ceiling is higher than Stetson Bennett's. I think that's pretty clear right now, but he's just not as close to his ceiling as Stetson is. Stetson right now is just a guy that's most equipped to go in there and run our offense and have our offense function just with his comfort level in terms of what defenses are trying to do to him and understanding coverages and where to go with the football. All of that just makes him the right guy for right now. I think JT Daniels, if he can get fully healthy, I know he's clear, but there's a big difference between being cleared and being fully healthy and him having confidence in the knee and the coaching staff having confidence in the knee and him not being limited in terms of his mobility. But when he gets to that point, then I think he can certainly push Stetson, but I think Stetson is going to have to falter. I think Stetson's going to have to start making some really bad decisions and turn the ball over, potentially costing us games and putting the team in, in really bad positions consistently. Now, if he does that, then I think that certainly opens the door to a guy like JT Daniels if he can get healthy. And even Dewan Mathis, I'm certainly not giving up on Dewan Mathis. I think the sky is a limit for him in terms of his athletic ability and what he, what he can bring to the table with his skill set. He's just got to grow up and learn. And that's every young quarterback. That's not a shot on him at all. He will grow, he will learn, and I think he will factor into the quarterback competition moving forward. I just don't know 
if he's ready right now based off what we saw in week one against Arkansas, although certainly there were other issues beyond just him, and he was put in a really bad spot with, with some penalties, putting him in third and long situations, and, and young receivers not helping him out, guys not holding up in pass protection. It certainly was not all on him, but he's not quite there right now, but if he continues to work and respond the right way, which from all accounts he is certainly doing, he seems to be a, a fantastic young man. I, can, I expect him to continue to work. I think he can factor in down the road. I just don't know if it's going to be right now. But yeah, I, I think it's a Stetson's job until he gives the coaches a reason to try to insert someone else with bad decisions, turnovers, putting the team in bad spots, costing us games, those kind of things. If he does that, the doors open. But if he keeps playing at a steady level and maintaining the trust of the coaching staff, which with Kirby Smart, you guys know that is massive when it comes to quarterback position. I think that's his number one priority. That's his number one requirement is can I trust you? And I think as long as he maintains the trust right now, I think he will be the guy moving forward. We just have to see how it plays out. And he certainly could go out there and Dane could go haywire at some point and he could lose the trust of the coaches. It's absolutely possible. And I know it was probably annoying to hear me say it all week last week, but that was the theme of the week. This is a small sample size to work with. We really don't know. Like I think we're learning more and more about Stetson Bennett as a quarterback and what he can be and who he is with each game, but it's still only two games. It was a really small sample size with just the Arkansas game. That was only two quarters of play. Now we have a full game in two quarters. We've actually seen him start a football game and play pretty much from start to finish against a good Auburn team, a solid Auburn team. But we still don't know everything we need to know about Stetson Bennett. The competition's only going to get tougher from here, especially over the next couple of weeks. So it's possible that things could go haywire and he could lose the trust of the coaches. But I will say, as of right now, and again, just to annoy people, it's a really small sample size, but I don't really think he's given us any reason to doubt that he can continue to do what he's been doing. No, he's not going to go out there and, and be a dynamic playmaking type quarterback, but I think he can do all the things that we need him to do for us to continue to win. But Curtis, let's go to a related but maybe even more important question here as, as it regards the quarterback position in Stetson Bennett. Quite simply, can we win a championship with Stetson Bennett? Because that's the goal. Like That's where this program is. Georgia expects to win championships every year. That's where Kirby Smart has gotten our program. Doesn't mean we're going to win it every year, but we expect to fight for it, be in contention, and win championships every single year. So is that still possible with Stetson Bennett if he ends up being the quarterback the rest of the way in 2020. While Stetson played a good game, I do have to point like, – the one thing that really struck out to me is that he wasn't as smooth as he was last week. Yeah, he made some of those third-down plays that uh, everyone was like, oh, you know, like that one where he rolled out, uh, out of the pressure, made that play. That was a very good play, and don't get me wrong. I, I, I think I was very impressed with the way he did it. But there was also some plays where he was thrown in the coverage uh, that you're sitting there like, e like – their safeties were closing on him, and he was opening up his receivers to big hits. And also, just like that one to Kiaris Jackson, yeah, it's a nice throw that for that 49-yard game. But he underthrew him so drastically that could have easily been an incompletion. I mean, it was good and bad. Like I said, like it was like he he didn't have as many bad plays, but he it wasn't as smooth. Like he hit the open guys, which is what you have to do. But I did the one thing I didn't think he was doing was throwing people open as much as he was last week. But there were things that you think, okay, when we're playing a really good team, that's not going to be there. I definitely see and respect where you're coming from there. Look, I don't know the answer to the question of whether Stetson Bennett can actually lead us to a title of any sort. I don't have the answer to that. None of us do. But here on this podcast, my job, my role is to try to give you guys my thoughts as to what the answer might ultimately end up being. And what I would say, this is something that I was essentially alluding to last week on the show when we were talking about 
the potential moving forward with Stetson Bennett? What's the ceiling for this team with him potentially at quarterback? And what I would say at this point through two games is what I'm seeing is that the formula for us to win football games is still very much the same, but we are just doing it with a much better offensive coordinator, a guy in Todd Munkin that can actually scheme guys open, a guy that uses motion and formations deliberately to create very favorable matchups that we can win. He's really doing some some awesome, unique things formation-wise that we haven't seen maybe, I don't know, ever at Georgia. You know, Just for example, using trips into the boundary. I, I, we very rarely have seen an offensive coordinator do that. Using trips with a tight end flexed out wide solo to the opposite side. Just a lot of unique things and just using formation, motion to get matchups that are advantageous for our offense. Case in point would be the George Pickens touchdown catch. I'm sure a lot of you guys caught this, but it was a subtle thing, but it actually mattered. It's what made the play. George was getting doubled almost all night long, especially in the first half. They were clearly trying to take him away, and they were trying to force another receiver to beat us. Fortunately, that ended up happening with Kiaris Jackson, which we'll get to later, but they were trying to take George away. So what did Tom Munkin go about doing when he knows that George is our best receiver and is the guy that you want to scheme up a way to get him the football when you're around the goal line with his ball skills? So what's he do? Well, he takes James Cook, I believe it was James Cook, and he kind of sends him in that flat motion. And what that does is it moves the safety ever so slightly. It was a single high safety who was shading towards the hash, basically sitting right there on the hash to the boundary where George Pickens was lined up one-on-one with the cornerback. So he was trying to offer that safety help over the top. But we had James Cook. We go in that flat motion, and it moved the safety. That motion moved the safety off the hash just long enough and just enough for us to snap the ball and for Pickens to get a nice release and get open down the field. And to Stetson's credit, he put the ball out there. To George's credit, he made a nice catch. But that was all about scheme. And I know that Kirby, like in his post-game press conference, he likes to talk about how it's always execution. I do believe, guys, it's execution more than anything else. That's what wins and loses games. But he tried to play down like that scheme doesn't matter. That's ridiculous, guys. Scheme absolutely does matter. Maybe not as much as the execution. And I get where Kirby's coming from. You can scheme it up all day long. And you can, you can draw it up on paper all day long, and it's the, it's the greatest play ever. But if the guys don't go out there and actually execute like what we saw in game one against Arkansas, then it's all for naught. I get that. But if guys are executing plays that are poorly designed, then you're not going to do very well either. It all kind of goes hand in hand. So it was nice to see on Saturday the execution and the scheming go hand in hand. And as our offense continues to grow, I'm really excited to see what we can do with Todd Munkin, calling plays, designing plays, scheming it up, all those things. I think he's a massive upgrade over both Jim Chaney and James Cole. I'm really excited to see what he's able to do. And he can also maximize skill sets, which is, which is something that I've been screaming for for years since Kirby Smart got here. But anyway, back to the original point. So yes, we've got Todd Munkin. He's a better offensive coordinator. But I think the formula for us to win games and ultimately try to win championships is still very much the same as it has been under Kirby Smart with Stetson Bennett at the helm. And honestly, I think that's one of the reasons why Kirby Smart is going with Stetson right now. Because I think he's looking at it and saying, hey guys, we've won with quarterbacks like this before. We, we've we've used this formula and we've won a lot of games and I think we can continue to do that again. We're always right there at the end with a chance to, to win an SEC title for three years running now. So why would it be any different now with Stetson? And that's kind of what I was saying last week, guys. I think Stetson Bennett and Jake Fromm are extraordinarily similar in the strengths that they bring to the table. They're not the same guy. Fromm's a little bit bigger. Sure, he was more experienced. Absolutely all that. But in terms of like the strengths they bring to the game, I think they're very similar. They're both smart, decisive quarterbacks with high football IQs who, who do a good job kind of just distributing the ball, getting it to playmakers, and just not putting you in bad spots with turnovers and bad decision making. But also, guys 
who have limited physical upside. And now I actually think you can argue that Stetson Bennett has more physical ability than Jake Fromm. Now he's not as big and he might not have quite as strong of an arm. And look, we all know Fromm's arm was not an elite arm at all. I think Stetson's is very similar to Fromm's arm, but maybe you could say Fromm had just a slightly stronger arm. But I love the athleticism that Stetson brings to the table that Jake absolutely did not bring to the table. I mean, that play, that was a third down completion to Kyrus Jackson to keep a scoring drive going in the first half. What, what he saw there is Stetson saw the pressure coming from the boundary. And as soon as the ball was snapped, he reverses out and just sprints to his left and he finds Karis Jackson open for a first down. Now Fromm, I fully believe, would have also recognized that blitz coming from the boundary. Where they differ is that Jake Fromm never in his life, even if he recognized that blitz coming, never in his life could have escaped that pressure and made that play on the run. He just simply, that was not in his skill set. That would have been at best a throwaway and potentially a sack. So that is just one small example of how I think that Stetson Bennett does bring more athleticism to the table and potentially more physical ability, even though he's a smaller guy. But the fact remains that their skill sets, in my opinion, are extraordinarily similar with the strengths that they bring to the table. So with that in mind, like I said last week, guys, I know that we hadn't necessarily seen it from Stetson, but I just didn't understand the consternation about him being the starting quarterback because I just wasn't so sure what Jake Fromm offered the team that Stetson Bennett can't also offer the team. So with, with Stetson being so similar to Fromm, I think that the formula is still the same for us to win games. And we've won so many games the past couple years. We've been right there every single year. We've won an SEC title. We got to a national title game. We've just got to lean on an elite defense, control the game on the ground, and try to make teams pay when they try to outnumber you in the box. And so far, Stetson has been able to do that. Now, certainly the competition will continue to increase. The level of competition will get better and better the next couple of weeks. And he's got to continue to raise his game as well. But so far, with what he's had in front of him, he's done enough to make teams pay when they tried to outnumber us. I mean, Auburn came out, obviously, and they were trying to take away the run game, but Stetson was making enough plays with his arm for, to pull them out of that, and we were able to, to continue to run the football. And, and look, that, that guys, that formula, that exact formula got us to a national title game. And the defense we had that year in 2017 that we, in which we got to the title game and almost won it, that defense was good. But it is certainly an inferior defense to the one that we have right now. But at the same time, I'll also say we don't have Nick and Sony. That's certainly a factor offensively. But I think we have better receiver options. Actually, I'm pretty confident. I mean, we don't have we didn't have anyone remotely close to what George Pickens is in 2017. Now we've got some young guys that have to continue to grow. But once they they grow and the light goes on for them, I think we'll have a wide receiver room that's head and shoulders better than what it was in 2017. So I think that formula can still get us there. I know it's not what we want because we brought in Todd Munkin and you want to open things up. And that was the idea, right? Like we've just got to revolutionize the offense. We've got to modernize it, all those things. And I think that we are still going to to do that. And I'm seeing things from Munkin right now that I had not seen from a Georgia coordinator. That gives me a lot of hope for the future. But right now with what we have with a offensive line that's still very much a work in progress, trying to gel. We've got some young receivers kind of go along with George Pickens. Kyrus obviously is playing really well, but we need guys like Marcus Rosen, me, Jack Sane, and we need Jermaine Burton, those guys to step up. We've got to have Darnell Washington continue to grow. Fitzpatrick's got to continue to grow. It'd be great to get Trey McKitty in the fold here at tight end in the next coming weeks because with his experience, then he can be another weapon for us. So we've just got to continue to grow, and I think the offense will continue to open up. But right now, the formula is the same. And if you're if you're kind of scratching your head right now and saying, man, I just don't know if we're going to win a championship with this team. And maybe not. I'm not saying that we're going to, but we've seen this formula work before. Now, we haven't officially gotten over the hump, like actually won a national title with this formula. 
but it's gotten us close. And I think our defense this year is the best defense that we've had. So there's that. Stetson, I think, is very Jake Frommy. There's no doubt in my mind there. And I think we have potentially more weapons offensively than we have had under Kirby Smart. We've just got to get them to the point where they're all ready to contribute at the same time. Now, saying all that, we don't have a large margin for error and we cannot let teams get us out of our game. But if we can impose our will and force them to play our game, then I think we can beat anyone on our schedule. And yes, that includes Alabama. I'm not ready to predict that as a win right now. But if we can make them play our game and we can take them out of their game, then yeah, I I think that we can can beat them and we can beat any team on our schedule. Now that remains to be seen. We have to play really well on the stretch. And and like our margin for error is thin. There's no doubt because we've got a lot of guys that have to continue to grow. And we don't have like as much as I like Stetson and think he can be a, a, a good enough quarterback for us. He's still not a dynamic playmaker at corporate. He's not Joe Burrow. He's not that kind of guy that's going to go out there and win games on his own. So yeah, the margin of error is thin, but it's been thin every year, honestly, since 2017 when we started to kind of go on this run. So yeah, I'm certainly not ready to write this team off as a championship contender. I'm not saying we're there yet. We're not there yet. If if we were in the playoffs tomorrow, we probably aren't going to win the college football playoff. I, I think it's fair to say that. But if we can just keep improving, keep getting better, and get to the point where we get to the Florida game with, with one or fewer losses and we find a way to beat Florida, then you get down to the end of the season with all these young guys growing up, I think we could be a very, very dangerous team and certainly be a championship contender. It's just about getting through this brutal first half of this season stretch. The SEC certainly did not do us any favors with this schedule with how young we are and experienced we are in offense, but we, we've just got to make it happen. we got to continue to make it happen. But all right, Kurt, let's bring it back to this game, this specific domination of Auburn. Were you surprised with how this game played out? I mean, it was the first matchup between top 10 teams this season anywhere in the country. And you had Barrett Salee from CBS Sports going on national radio after the Arkansas game, proclaiming that Auburn was going to, quote, smoke Georgia this week. So a lot of people nationally were caught off guard, but were you surprised by how this game turned out? I I was just a little bit more surprised at just the pure physical dominance, I think is what had me most surprised. I knew Auburn was extremely young, especially on the offensive line, which I knew would help our defensive line. But I just wasn't expecting the pure dominance. And I, and I think that's what really had me is Auburn had put together a couple good drives, but for that entire game, we just physically beat them down. Yeah, I know this sounds disingenuous coming off of the very uninspiring performance week one against Arkansas. But go back and listen to what we said last week, guys. I thought the second half, we looked like a different team. The defense was great the entire game. But offensively, in the second half, it was a totally different story, especially with Stetson Bennett being inserted into the lineup shortly before halftime. It was was a completely different story in that second half. So what I saw the second half of that Arkansas game, I kind of feel like that's what we saw the entire game against Auburn on Saturday. Now, the one thing I would say that was a dramatic improvement was the offensive line was just so much better from the get-go against Auburn. Even the second half against Arkansas, our offensive line did not play anywhere near the level they played in week two against Auburn. But in some ways, I really kind of see that entire Auburn game as kind of an extension of the second half of, of the Arkansas game, where we started to play much better offensively in the second half. We kind of started to get our confidence and just started humming a lot more in that second half of that Arkansas game. And we carried that over and kind of built on that in this game against Auburn, which is kind of what you want, guys. When you're talking about a team, an offense that was going to have some growing pains early with all the new faces, 
all the inexperience, new system, no spring practice, all that. Like you want the team to continue to grow from game to game. I know it's only been two games, but from game one to game two, we saw growth. Hopefully we see more growth from game two to game three. At some point, there'll probably be some stagnation. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But, you know, if we just continue to get better and continue to work, then we're going to be okay. But yeah, I I really wasn't all that surprised because we saw signs of it in the second half of the game against Arkansas. And and if you go back to last week in the pick show, I picked us to win the game, but I did pick Auburn to cover. So I have to say in that regard, I'm with you, Curtis. I I felt like we were the better team. I felt like we were going to win the game. I picked us to win. But I didn't necessarily see a blowout coming just based off of the uncertainty at quarterback and and my concerns I had about the offensive line after week one. And I I told you guys last week, I I was not unconcerned about quarterback, but I was much more concerned about the offensive line. But they performed really well in week two. We'll see if they can carry that over into week three. But even though I had some concerns there, I felt we were going to win and I felt we had a chance to dominate the line of scrimmage on the defensive side of the ball. I told you guys that on the preview show. And I thought it would at least be a draw with our offensive line versus their defensive line. Yeah, we had some issues coming into the game on the offensive line. We still had some gelling to do to figure out who should be playing where. And those guys just had to raise their level of play. And they were better than what they showed against Arkansas. I think we all knew that. Obviously, it was concerning, but I felt like that was a better unit than what they showed against Arkansas. It was probably the worst game they could have played, honestly. But our offensive line versus their defensive line, I felt that was going to at least be a draw because their defensive line is just not very good. They lost so much off that unit. And I told you guys in the preview show, I just did not feel like they had any game changers up front. We might not be great on the offensive line, at least not right now, but they don't have those game changers up front. So I felt that would at least be a draw. And if we could dominate our defensive line versus their offensive line, which I felt like we would, I felt this is a game that we should win. And, and I told you guys, like they would not be able to run it on us and if we could make them one-dimensional, that their one dimension, their passing offense, was not nearly good enough to beat us, and it turned out exactly that way. Bo Nix, guys, is just a hype machine at this point in his career. Now in his sophomore year, 21 of 40 for 177 yards passing. And I told you guys we had to get pressure on him. That was the key for me. We had to find a way to get pressure on him because when he gets pressure, when he gets blitzed, he just is a different dude. He, he panics. He freaks out. He's not there yet. He's not comfortable in the pocket. He tries to escape the pocket even when he's got a clean pocket. Now, certainly we had something to do with that, with pressuring him and just kind of making him antsy back there. But we pressured him on exactly half of his dropbacks. On 22 of his 44 dropbacks, we got pressure on him, whether that was by manufacturing pressure or that was just with a four-man rush. We got pressure on him on exactly half of his dropbacks. He was only 6 of 19 for 50 yards and an interception on plays where he was actually pressured. But that wasn't surprising to me. I told you guys last year, his grade against pressure was below 50. It was in the mid 40s. And it wasn't much better against Kentucky in week one. So I just felt like if we had a chance to get to him, that we could really, really, really mess with him and keep this Auburn offense from getting on track. And that's exactly what happened. And we were just the more talented team. That's another thing that I pointed out last week. And that was pretty clear. That was on display all game long from basically the first snap. Now, I did need to see Stetson do it against what we at least perceive to be a better defense than Auburn defense. I don't think they're great, but I do think they are at least a, a slight step up from what we saw against Arkansas. Although Arkansas played really well defensively against that powerful Mississippi State offense. That, that was impressive to see. So maybe Arkansas is not as bad as we thought Arkansas was. We'll see. There's only one game against Mississippi State, but hey, you know, they... they 
broke their 20-game SEC losing streak. So I need to see Stetson do it against a better defense. And he did. He he wasn't perfect. He's got some things that he's got to work on. And there were a couple of plays where he had guys open that he missed. You know, I think it was on the very first drive it was John Fitzpatrick going down the seam from the tight end position. And he was he was pretty open, man. And Stetson missed him on that on that play. And that's okay. No quarterback goes for 100%. No, no quarterback completes 100% of their passes. But that's a play against better competition here in the next coming weeks that we've got to hit. So again, I wasn't surprised that we won the game. I felt like we were going to win this game. I felt like the matchups really favored us. I felt like we had the more talented team. But like Curtis, I didn't necessarily see a blowout coming because I just wasn't sure our, our offensive line would be able to dominate the Auburn defensive front. But that actually happened. So coming off that week one performance that wasn't a great look, the offensive line really kind of redeemed themselves against Auburn. And that was the key to a blowout wing. Because once we established the run early, it was absolutely over. Once we were able to run the football on them, I don't want to say at will, but run run on them like we did in that game, it was over. There was nothing they were going to be able to do to stop us. All right, moving on here, Curtis. One more question before we get to our game balls, but I'm just curious for you. What was the most encouraging thing you took away from this latest beatdown of the Auburn Tigers? There are a lot of really great things coming out of this game, a lot of things to really be excited about, but what was the one most encouraging thing that you took away? The one thing that really stuck out to me was just the pass rush. You know, we weren't really having to bring crazy blitzes and dial up all these schemes to get a lot of pressure on them. Yeah, that's going to be huge for us down the stretch here as we face some of these more prolific offenses. And we did do some things defensively that that confused Bo Nix. But you're right, we weren't. I thought we would actually bring five and six guys more often than we normally do, and we did at times. But we didn't do it as much as I thought we would in this game. To be honest, I was wrong about that. The vast majority of the time, we were still only bringing four guys, like we were typically apt to do. We were just as we usually are really creative about who was coming and where those guys were coming from, what the looks were. But yeah, it was really great to see the pass rush really get after Bo Nix. We needed that in this game because that was the key to keeping him off balance. So that, that's that's definitely a huge takeaway. For me, I'm going to stick with the offensive line. We've talked about it a little bit here. And here, here I am. I'm going to annoy some more people. Still a small sample size here because it's only one game where they really performed at a pretty high level. But the offensive line was just night and day so much better than what they were in week one against Arkansas. And there really wasn't much of a lineup change. The only major change we made in the lineup was inserting War McClendon at right tackle in place of Owen Condon. And Condon played a fair amount as well. McClendon played more, but that was really it. We, we didn't put Erickson at center, which I know a lot of people were calling for, including myself. I, I said that was something that we should at least explore. And it's not that I don't believe that Trey Hill can be a good offensive lineman. It's just that center, like the snapping issue has, be, has been a problem more than once, more than twice. And against a really good team in a tight game, that's something that could absolutely cost you a game. And I really do question like just the way he's built with his really big thighs. Is there enough room there to consistently get that snap through? So uh, I, I was surprised maybe a little bit that we didn't see more Warren Erickson at center. But hey, all in all, those guys really raised their game. They played really, really well up front. I thought they all played really well. I thought Schaefer played really I thought the left side of our line, Schaefer and Salyer played really, really well. They were getting a lot of push there on the left side. I thought Big Ben was a monster. He was destroying people up front. He's still, you know, he's a guy that's not going to be an elite pass protector, but I thought he held up really well in that regard as well. But I mean, he is just a, a flat out road grader up front. I mean, he was hurting people. And I, and I like what I saw from McClendon. He had another really solid game. I thought he was probably our best offensive lineman in week one. Honestly, I know he didn't play as much as some of the other guys. But when he came in, I thought he played really well. And I think he kind of just picked up where he left off and will continue to get better and better. And once Condon got some time in there, I thought he played well too. So those guys, it looks like they're gelling a little bit better together. I think just the continuity there, having a game under their belts, 
and and maybe just even having a little bit of a fire lit under them really helped improve their play overall. And like I said earlier in the show, against Arkansas, they were so much better than what they were showing. They were better than that. We'd seen Trey Hill for an entire year as a starter. He was better than he played against Arkansas. We hadn't seen a ton of Jamari Sawyer, but what we had seen from him, he was better than that. Same thing with Justin Schaefer. Hadn't seen a ton from Schaefer. I mean, he started a couple games in relief, but what we've seen from him, he was better than that. Big Ben, we know he's better than that. And those guys just played up those capabilities in this game. So that's a huge takeaway for me. I still need to see them do it consistently, but it was a major step in the right direction. So that's the big takeaway for me. All right, guys, let's move on here to our next segment. Now that we've taken the big picture look at this game, we're going to introduce a new segment that we're going to use on these recap shows the rest of the year. We've spent some time kind of just brainstorming, thinking about exactly how we want to structure these shows, and this is kind of what we came up with. So we're going to have that big picture look to open up each of these recap episodes, and then Curtis and I are going to each take turns handing out game balls to players, to entire units, or even coaches who we want to spotlight for their play or performance. And yeah, guys, I realize that traditionally, there is only one game ball to hand out. I have been in more than my fair share of football locker rooms. I get it. There's one game ball. Yes. But for our purposes here on this podcast in these recap episodes, we're going to hand out multiple game balls after each game. We're just generous like that. And Curtis, you have the honor of kicking it off here and handing out our very first game ball of the 2020 football season. Who are you giving it to? I'm going to go with Tyson Campbell. I thought he did a good job of just completely holding Seth Williams in check, and I think that was the difference in the game because they became one-dimensional having to rely on the pass, but you just took away their best option in the passing game. Yeah, that's a great choice for your first game ball, man. Actually, you stole him from my list. He's definitely on my list, but I got a bunch of guys here. And looking at Tyson Campbell, just real quick, I mean, that dude is a stud. That guy is potentially working himself into first-round conversation if he continues to play like that. Now, I know he's got to do that consistently because he hasn't played like that for any consistent stretch of time because, you know, as a freshman, he was still very much raw and learning how to play that position. He had the raw tools, but his ball skills, his awareness was just almost non-existent. We started to see really positive signs early last year, but then he gets the turf toe injury, misses most of the year. But what I've seen from him through two games – I'm really starting to think this guy might be a first-round type talent. He's got the physical prototype. I mean, he's 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 got the size, the length, the speed, the track speed coming out of high school, man, a 10, 300-meter guy at that size. I mean, you're talking about an elite athlete, and now that he's kind of put it all together with his ball skills, his awareness, his understanding the defense, his comfort level, all those things, just the technical stuff that he wasn't really great at as a freshman because, like, yeah, you're a freshman. You don't really know all those things, but he's really gone to work. He's learned. He's gotten better. I'm really excited for him. I'm really excited for the team. And, guys, Seth Williams is a really, really good receiver. I'm not ready to say he's, like, a top two or three receiver in the league, but he's, like, in that next tier and I mean, that guy is really, really good. He went for over 100 yards against us last year without Tyson Campbell really being a factor. And now that Campbell's in the game, you can see that uh, he he was a major factor in keeping Seth Williams at bay and really keeping that Auburn offense off track. Yeah, the pressure helped. But when you get the pressure, plus you have a cornerback playing an elite level like that against a top receiver, I mean, that is that is the mark of a really, really good defense. And I, I'm very curious to see if he's going to be able to keep that up as we continue to move on through our schedule here. He's got some really good receivers ahead of us the next couple of weeks. And I, I hope they can, that he can continue to play like that. But if he does, I mean, this guy is really going to start to move up some draft boards. So great choice there for your first game ball, Curtis. My first game ball, you know what? I'm going to go with my man, Kiaris Jackson. 
I mean, this guy was an absolute stud. I mean, 15 catches, 209 yards through two games on the year. Curtis, let me just ask you, like, is, is Kiaris Jackson our number one guy at receiver right now? I think he's really benefited from everyone knowing who George is, and I think that's the biggest thing you're seeing this year is we, well, we needed someone to step up because you knew teams were going to try to double up and take George away from take him out of our game plan. And it really has opened it up for people like Kiaris Jackson. And he's 100%. taken full advantage of it, too, which is what, you, what we needed. Yeah, you know, George Pickens is still our number one receiver. And just because he hasn't leaned the team in catches and receiving yards right now doesn't mean that he's not the best receiver on this team. Kiaris Jackson is playing really, really well. But George Pickens being there... It's certainly allowing him to have some more room to operate and giving him the opportunity to take advantage of some one-on-one opportunities because Kyrus is a really good receiver in his own right. So I think a big part of it, I mean, go, go back and watch the tape, guys. I mean, George is, I mean, they're putting safety up over the top almost every single play. We were able to see him up a couple times with Todd Munkin trying to find some ways to get George open. But look, that's exactly how I would defend us coming into this season as well. I mean, if you look at what we were last year, when Cager went down, yeah, picking towards, towards the end of the year was really good for us, but we didn't really have another option. I mean, Blaylock here and there, Kiaris here and there, Demetrius Robertson at times, but no one did it consistently game in and game out opposite Pickens once Cager went down. So yeah, you come in and you want to take away Pickens. You're thinking, if I can take away Pickens, then no one else that they have is going to beat us out wide. And Kiaris right now is making them look foolish. To his credit, he's good enough when he gets those one-on-one opportunities in the slot to actually win the vast majority of those. And he's also continued to grow. I mean, it's in his third year now. He's learning what to do as a receiver, where where to, to kind of pull up in the zones and sit down, how to play off leverage and man coverage, all those things. He's getting better. So there's a couple of factors that play here with, with Kiaris and Stars. If you look at the numbers right now, you would say, oh yeah, like Kiaris Jackson's the number one guy because he's got 15 catches for 209 yards on the year. And our second leading receiver is Pickens. He's only got six catches for 73 yards in the year. So Kiaris has them doubled up in both receptions and receiving yards but there's a couple factors at play here number one yes I think Kiaris has continued to grow and get better himself he's a just a great dude who's a leader on this team that works really hard that's number one number two you got George Pickens taking a lot of the attention from the defense and Kiaris getting a lot of one-on-one opportunities which he's taking full advantage of and number three he's also playing in a position that actually fits his skill set last year we talked about this ad nauseum. He and a bunch of other guys were forced to play out of position. He was playing out wide. And not to say that he can't play the X or the Z position. Like He can if he's forced to. He's fine there. He's serviceable there. But his skill set is that of a slot receiver. And that's where he's going to be most effective. And I was screaming about that last year. And it's one of the issues I had with our offense in general is that we just weren't maximizing guys' skill sets. We weren't really putting them in the position to be successful. And I know we had injuries and I get all that. But it's just really nice to see Kiaris be able to flourish when he's playing a natural position that really matches what he has from a skill set standpoint. So I'm really excited for him. But no, like he, yeah, he's great, and it's so awesome that he's playing like he is because eventually teams are going to have to adjust. Defensive coordinators are going to have to adjust because you can't let Kiaris Jackson keep going for nine catches, 140-plus yards on you. You're going to have to start adjusting what you do defensively from a coverage standpoint. You're not going to be able to put as much safety help consistently over the top on Pickens. And when you start to take attention away from George, then George is going to be unleashed and he's going to explode on the scene. And then it's kind of like pick your poison. What do you do? And then what happens once guys like Jermaine Burton and Marcus Roseme and those guys start to figure it out and the light goes on for them like it did for Pickens about midway through the season last year. And then Darnell Washington, what happens when the light goes on for him? You get Trey McKitty in the lineup and you really start to activate James Cook in the passing game. Like when we start to do all those things, then our offense starts to get really, really really dangerous. It's not there yet, but we're starting to see signs of it. And if we can just, that's why I keep saying, if we just keep growing. Those guys just keep getting better and we keep working with them. 
then by the time we hit midseason, we might start to be looking like an entirely different offense. But Kiarish Jackson definitely deserving my first game ball. But Kurt, who gets your second game ball? Um, Next, I'm going to go with the offensive line. I think you have to give them credit for the way they just completely dominated Auburn's front seven. Uh it, it, like when you were, I think we are averaging almost seven yards a carry on first down or seven yards per play on first down. And that's incredible because that's one of our biggest problems because Arkansas is we were getting second and third, second and third down long. And we kind of solved that problem this time. Yeah, totally agree. Great call there on the offensive line. And I agree that don't just single one guy out. That entire unit just played so much better as a group together. They definitely deserve that as a unit. But my second game ball, I'm going to go with Adam Anderson here, man. Adam Anderson was an absolute beast for us. He's a guy who's really started to grow into and embrace his role on this team. No, he's probably never going to be an every down outside linebacker, at least until he can consistently put and keep the weight on his frame. In a lot of ways, it reminds me of DeAndre Walker. If you guys remember him for most of his career, he just could not keep the weight on. So therefore, he couldn't stay on the field consistently as an every down guy. But then, you know, his final year, he starts to put that weight on. He becomes a really, really strong player for us and is able to play almost every down for us. And obviously, he came off the field, but he's a guy that can play on first or second and third down. Adam Anderson's not there yet. I'm not saying he can never get there, but he's really kind of grown into this role on third downs. And I don't want to say as a pass rusher because, yes, he rushes the passer a lot on third downs, but he does so much more than that. He covers, he plays in space, he mirrors quarterbacks that, that are mobile, all those things. He allows us to do so much. He allows us to be so versatile. And it's not just him. We have so many guys with versatility that we bring in on those third down situations and those third down packages. And it's not just one third down package, guys. We have a multitude of third down packages, but he's a big part of almost all of them. And there was no one on third downs to play better than he did last night. I mean, he was an absolute terror on third downs. Now, I would love to see him be able to actually get Bo Nix down the ground a little bit more consistently, but it's all about pressuring quarterbacks, affecting quarterbacks. That's what Kirby talks about all the time. Yes, it's ideal, obviously, to get them down the ground and sack them, but just impacting, affecting the quarterback like we did all night long was a huge deal. I mean, he led the team in, in quarterback pressures. I think he had six quarterback pressures and it, he was just, a, he was all over the place. He was a nightmare. He's moving incredibly well. And if he continues to play like that, we're going to give some really good offensive teams a lot of issues if we can get them to third and long, which I think we have a pretty good chance of doing with how we're playing against the run right now. So he was, he was awesome. And I'm really proud of him for how he's embraced his role and just continue to improve each and every year. So big time shout out to Mr. Adam Anderson. Big time game from him. No doubt there. All right, Kurt, who are you going with with your last game ball? Um, next, I'm going to go with uh, Zeus. I thought he did a great job of just being patient with the running back, um, especially in the holes. I mean, yeah, we were dominating the line of scrimmage, but it's not like the holes were gigantic. So he was going out there, and I just thought he did a great job of cutting and finding space out there and honestly driving his feet because he ran extremely hard, especially some of these short down situations and things like that. He was just grinding it out, grinding out those extra yards, and I think that you definitely have to give him a game ball. Another great call by you, man. Zeus, he is looking the part, dude. Like, I know we talked about all offseason long that I wasn't 100% convinced that Zeus was going to be the number one feature guy. 
because I wasn't sure what his health status was going to be. Obviously, he played last year, but he was certainly not the same guy equated to Nick Chubb coming back in 2016 off that horrific knee injury where, yeah, Nick was cleared, Nick played, but he clearly was not the Nick of old before the injury. He didn't have the same lateral agility. He didn't have the same burst, acceleration. It took a good solid year or so for him to get all the way back a year removed from the recovery. And I think Zamir was in a similar situation. And I thought that he could be closer to being back to the old Zeus. Because, I mean, I've said this before. I think Zamir White's tape coming out of high school was as good of any running back tape I've seen come out of high school. It's just a shame he had the two knee injuries like that. And I, I was hopeful that he could get back to, like, the pre-injury Zeus. But you just don't know. You just don't know. Guys respond to things differently. But he's pretty much answered my questions through two games here. I mean, you, you see the lateral agility. Chris, I think you mentioned it on that catch that set up his first touchdown run on that third down where he kind of catches the angle route inside the, the five-yard line and gets and cuts up to get the first down. Like last year, if Zeus catches that ball, he's probably not getting the first down. He would have been tackled about a yard or two short because I'm not sure he would be able to make that lateral cut like he did to get upfield and get that first down. And that's a big deal. Like that set up a score. Yeah, we would have gotten a field goal out of it anyway, but a touchdown is a huge deal in a situation like that. When you're playing against good teams, you need to capitalize on your red zone opportunities and score touchdowns. Field goals don't be elite teams. You can't count on that. You've got to score touchdowns. And so to see him be able to do things like that and just have that burst, have that acceleration that we just did not see from him last year. It was last year like you guys saw the same thing I saw. We all love Zeus. We're all rooting for Zeus. We're all chanting his name when he comes out there on the field and he makes a play. But more than anything, last year, he was kind of just put my head down and try to run through people, which he can do. And he encouraged you, right? You're, he's show, still showing that. I mean, the leg drive, the power, but to also be able to match that this year with the lateral agility, the burst, the explosion, the acceleration, all the things that we've seen from him through the first two weeks, I really feel like Zeus could be on the verge of being a breakout running back star in the SEC this season. So great call there, Curtis. And for my final game ball, I'm going to go back to the defensive side of the ball, and I'm going to go with Jordan Davis. This guy's a monster. He's an absolute monster. He is eating people alive on the interior of the defensive line. Talk about a guy like Tyson Campbell who's really moving himself up draft boards right now. Jordan Davis is doing very much the same thing. This guy, I think, is working himself into first-round conversation because it's not just that he's a big physical space eater. Yes, he can do all those things, but the dude moves so well for that size, as evidenced by the fact that he was in the jumbo package on the goal line offensively. And also, just just watch the guy play. There was a play in the second half. I want to say it was the second half, the third quarter of that game against Auburn where he starts at his nose tackle position, basically as a, as a one technique, zero tech nose guard. And on this particular play, they were trying to get Tank Bigsby on the edge. And guys, Tank Bigsby moves pretty well. He's, he's a quick running back. But it's Jordan Davis who flies down the line from his nose tackle position all the way to the outside of the line of scrimmage and makes the play out there on the edge. He's the guy that brings Tank down. And there was some daylight for Bigsby out there if Jordan doesn't get over there and take him down. But he got there. He made the play. This guy is going to be a big-time player on the next level. He's already a big-time player for us. And I just want to take a quick second here and give a shout-out to Trey Scott, defensive line coach, for the evaluation of Jordan Davis. This guy was not a four-star. He was not a five-star. He was a three-star that didn't really get the fan base all that excited when he committed because he wasn't that four or five-star guy. But Trey Scott, who has taken some heat on the recruiting trail from some of our fan base 
for how he's maybe not landing some of the big time elite defensive tackles, but got to give the guy credit here for making an outstanding evaluation on Jordan Davis, going after him, getting the guy out of North Carolina, and now developing him into just an absolute star. And here's what's going to help Trey Scott. This is what I was saying over the past couple of years when he was getting a lot of grief for not going out there and landing every four and five star prospect that he was going after along the defensive line, although he's certainly doing his fair share of that now, getting a guy like Jalen Carter and having us in the in the mix firmly for a guy like Corey Foreman and Mason Smith, all those guys. He's doing a lot of that now, but what's really going to help Trey Scott land some of those guys is having guys like Jordan Davis that he can point to and say, oh yeah, this guy was a three-star prospect that nobody was really going after all that heavily. No one was excited about him. I evaluated him. I found him. I brought him. I coached him up. And hopefully Jordan gets drafted in the first round and I made him a first round draft pick. I developed him and I got him there. When you can start pointing to things like that, that is when all of a sudden you can start putting your personality together. See, he has a, he's, he's a great dude. He, he really connects with the players, all those kind of things. Those players want to get to the league. That's their number one priority. And it doesn't matter how great of a guy you are as a coach, if they don't think you can put him into the league and develop them, then they're probably not going to commit to you. So if he can kind of match that personality and the way he connects with the players with the ability to show them he's putting guys into the league into the first round, then he might potentially become a big time recruiter for us on that defensive line. But Jordan Davis overall, he's he's just playing on another level right now. He's continuing to get better and better and better each and every year if he continues to keep his weight under control. I mean, he's the great immovable object up front. Like people are not able to move him an inch. It's just not happening. I get Auburn's offensive line is not great. Arkansas's offensive line is not there yet. We will play better offensive lines. I understand that. But the fact is, no one is moving him at all, at all. And then you combine that with how he's moving down the line of scrimmage to make plays on the edge. I mean, this guy is freaky. He is an absolute freak. So definitely, Jordan Davis gets one of my game balls for the Auburn game. But all right, Kurt. So praising our coaches and players is always fun. We love to do that. We prefer to do that. These guys work their tails off, and it's just awesome to get to show these guys some love for everything they do for the University of Georgia. But it isn't always sunshine and rainbows. Every game brings some good things to spotlight. We love that stuff. But each game also brings plenty of things to work on, to improve on. But that's how you get better, right? You have to identify the weaknesses before you can fix them. So not that anyone listens to us. Like no one cares what we say. But regardless, we're going to do our small part to help with that. So instead of handing out just game balls, in this next segment, we're going to be throwing flags. Yeah, I know that sounds a little lame. We, we kind of workshopped that, trying to figure out the best way to phrase this and the, and, and the best idea for this. But we're going to call it throwing flags. So instead of giving game balls for the best performances, the flags are going to be for players, units, and, and maybe even coaches that might need some improvement, that maybe didn't have their best performance in the game. So Curtis, I think it's an obvious guy that's going to be both of our first choice. I'll let you go ahead and take it. Who are you throwing a flag on after this Auburn game? Matt Landers, let's be honest. Yeah, 100%. That's the obvious one. But Curtis, how do you try to explain what he was trying to do there right before the half, the two-minute drill? He's got really what should have been an easy touchdown and just basically stops running. I doesn't know where he is. I don't know. How do you explain what this man was trying to do? I mean, what on earth was he doing? Maybe he'll say he lost it, but you've been at Georgia long enough now that you, you shouldn't lose a ball in the lights. Yeah, and maybe I would buy that if this was the first time, but it's almost like the old story, like the boy who cried wolf, right? Like if this has happened over and over again, 
then I'm just not going to buy the argument that, oh yeah, I just lost it in the lights. And I don't know that he said that. I don't think I've heard that he said that anywhere. But I, I get what you're saying though, Curtis. You're just trying to come up with anything. Like you're just grasping for straws to try to explain what this guy is doing because it's borderline inexplicable at this point. But I, I, I don't think that he just lost the ball in the light because this is not the first time. It's not the second time. We saw this against Florida where he he pulled up short on the ball that should have probably been a touchdown. We saw it against LSU. Like we've seen this time and time again from him. But not only that, but by the time he recovered, he didn't even lay out for the ball. And that's the difference, and that's why people love George. I mean, if you look at some of those catches he made last year, he goes all out. He'll dive for the ball. He does whatever it takes to make the play, and that's why people love him. And you got this guy who just loafs out there, won't you know, put the extra effort out there to try to make a big play to happen. And I think that also affects your teammates trusting you because they'll look at someone saying, all right, this guy will do whatever it takes to try to make something happen. Well, this guy just, if it's not thrown right at him, which even then he could still drop knowing his ability, then, you know, it's hard to, it's just, just not a good look for a teammate. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I, I'm not ready to say it's an effort thing. I, I really don't believe that's the case. And I could be wrong here because I know it looks like he's just pulling up, like he's not going all out. I get why someone would think that. But from all accounts, everything I've heard about this guy is that he works hard. His teammates like him. The coaches appreciate what he does out there at practice, trying to work and trying to get better. But it's like when he gets out there in the game, like the only way I can describe it, because again, I think it's almost inexplicable. It's borderline inexplicable. But to me, it's almost like a case of like the wide receiver yips. Like, you know, the pitchers in baseball will get this quarterback sometimes, right? But you don't hear about it with wide receivers. And it's not so much like just dropping the ball. That's certainly, as you mentioned, Kurt, been, been an issue for him in his career. But it's like he gets out there and he just freezes. Like he, he's, his mind just goes blank. And he just like, he's like, oh, who am I? Where am I? What am I doing? Like he just doesn't know what's going on. It's like he's, he's in outer space out there. And I really can't explain it because he has the physical upside. And we saw him start to do some positive things. You know, you saw in the Sugar Boy has a nice touchdown catch. He carries it over to week one, made some nice catches. Now they, they weren't like spectacular catches, but they were just routine catches. But for Matt Landers, the routine, like it's like, oh, wow, you made it. That's incredible. You actually caught the ball and you didn't look like you were lost out there like those are positive signs and then you go and you do what he did Saturday where he was three or four yards or so behind the the, the DB and that's a touchdown that is a touchdown that's a walk-in touchdown you can see Stetson Bennett was visibly annoyed by that you kind of see like they, they, they took a shot of Stetson like right after the play and you kind of see he was like what are you doing out there and then Landers, they, they cut to him, and he just has this, like, space cadet, like, lost in space look on his face. And it's like, I don't know, man. I just don't know. So, yeah, very frustrating. And I, and I hate to, to be hard on the guy. I really do. Cause there's been a lot of that through his career, and I, I, I know he wants to be good, and he's working at it. But it's just like, man, it's frustrating. It's frustrating to see out there for sure. So that's a good one. And for me, I'm going to go with a defense here, not, just, not a specific player. But just as a unit, we've got to do a better job of getting off the field on third down. We typically do a really good job of that. I think we were just a little over 30% last year allowing third down conversions. Yeah, we were top 15 nationally at 31%. And last week against Arkansas, we did a really good job of getting off the field on third down for the most part. They only converted three of 14 third down opportunities. But against Auburn, they were able to convert six of 15 of those third opportunities. And most of those were the second half. I think they were one of six in the first half. They came out in the second half of that first drive. Fortunately, we were able to hold them only to a field goal, but they converted way too many third downs in that play. We allowed Bo Nix. We got some pressure on him. We allowed him to escape the pressure. We've got to do a better job of that, just getting off the field on third down. We were we were well ahead in the game. We were comfortably ahead, and they were not going to beat us at that point. But when you get into a tighter game, who knows, maybe this week against Tennessee, maybe against Alabama in a couple weeks. Who knows, maybe against Kentucky on the road after Alabama. In Florida, we know we've got tough games coming up. 
we cannot allow teams in tighter games to convert third downs like that. And that's not who we typically are defensively. We've just got to continue to do a better job of that. And, I, I, and we'll be fine. Right now, that's an anomaly. We've just got to get back next week to doing what we do defensively and getting off the field on third down. Because as good as we are up front and as good as we are against the run, we're going to try to force some teams. And we are going to force a lot of teams into third long situations. And that's what we want to do. We want to get them to third long. We bring our versatile third down packages in there, our diet packages. We do a lot of really interesting and, and just awesome, exotic, fascinating things from a third down standpoint. But if we're not getting off the field when we get them those opportunities, then it's all for naught. So we've got to get back to doing what we do. And I'm not alarmed right now. It's just a, it was a one-game thing. And Bo Nix is an athletic guy. He's not a great quarterback, but he is an athlete. He's able to escape some pressure. So I get that. But we've just got to do a better job getting off the field for sure. But all right, guys, that does it for today here on the Glory UJ podcast. We really appreciate everyone listening to the show today, supporting us here. It was awesome to get yet another dominating win over Auburn, but we've got another test up next against Tennessee. I think Tennessee is going to be a better team than Auburn is this year. I think they are right now. So it's going to be a bigger challenge for us. So hopefully our guys are up for that challenge. But we've got all week to break that down and talk about that game. If you have not sent in your mailbag questions, if you got questions about the Auburn game, questions looking ahead to the Tennessee game this week, send those to us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. You can just tweet them to us. You can DM us. Or if you don't do the Twitter thing, you can just email them to us at GloryUGAPodcast at gmail.com. So get those in. We'll be recording that show on Monday night. So get those in as soon as you possibly can. But thanks for listening, guys. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>